when you don't have slides, the only thing people can look at is each other. And when you are having a strategic conversation, you want to be looking at each other. You want to be able to read people's body language and look each other in the eye. And it's just a recipe for a way more impactful human conversation. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators who are transforming health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. Today's episode is a small departure from our normal fare. Instead of speaking with a founder in the throes of building a health moonshot startup, we're talking to an expert who advises founders on strategy. Our guest today is Matt Bloomberg, CEO and co-founder at Bolster. He's the author of the books Startup CEO, Startup CXO, and most recently, Startup Boards. That last one was why we wanted to have him in for a special masterclass with the founders from the startup health community. As you'll hear, Matt has developed a detailed strategy for maximizing your startup's board. It's a time-tested framework for making sure your board is an asset to your business, not a tax. This conversation was held in front of a live audience of founders from our community, so you'll get to hear some very practical questions on board management during our Q&A. Enjoy. I think of CEOs that don't know what they don't know. Maybe they're building their first board. So what are the red flags of a board that really could be bringing you a lot more value? Um, well, the first, uh, I, I would say the first red flag is that the only people on your board are founders or, or investors. Um, so there are, in private companies, there are fundamentally three kinds of board members, investors, founders or management, and independents. And the most effective boards are the ones that have um, independence. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, there, there's sort of no, there are no two, there are no two ways about that. Um, investors can be very effective board members. And, um, you know, certainly uh, there is, uh, you know, good advice to be gotten from founders. Um, but when you're talking about a board, which is going to be a limited number of people, right? It's going to be like three people at early stages, five people at mid stages. Um, having uh, a, a healthy number of independents um, just makes the the quality of conversation go way up. Most founders don't do this. Um, most uh, board searches we do are for someone's first independent director, and they've they're the, like a five year old company. Um, or it's their second independent director and they already have 75 million in revenue. Um, so it's really tough to have a high impact board if it's nothing but insiders. Yeah. What are the activities that mark a great board when I think about what they spend their time on and what they are notably not spending their time on? Yeah. So great boards um, uh, spend their time on strategic issues that matter to the business and matter to the CEO. They do not spend their time in the weeds of reporting of what happened last quarter. That is number one, and that is super, super important. So we can talk about sort of what makes a good board book versus what makes a good board meeting. Good board books do, in fact, have a tremendous amount of data about what happened last quarter. Um, and good board members should be prepared for board meetings and read through them and come with questions. Um, but good boards don't spend a lot of time in meetings, which is scarce time, very scarce time. They don't spend a lot of that time on, hey, on page 27, where the EBITDA number is it's a little different than the EBITDA number on page 28, what's going on there? Like That's not strategic and that's not helpful. Um, 
I would say the second kind of hallmark of good boards is that they um, they function like a good team. Um, and you know, I, I hope um, that all of you have good uh, leadership teams, whether they're you know three of you on it or five of you on it or ten of you on it. Um, and paying attention to team dynamics is something that's really important to having a healthy, high-functioning executive team. Right? People have to trust each other. They have to know each other as humans. They have to be able to be vulnerable with each other. They can't be afraid about calling each other out on things. Um, I, I, I won't go into the, the list of things, right? But you, you get the general idea. Um, boards are no different, right? A, a board is a team and a high functioning board has all of the same characteristics as a high functioning executive team. The challenge you have as the CEO is that your board doesn't spend as much time together as your executive team. So you have to figure out how to build uh, those social uh, relationships and linkages in uh, in limited um, amounts of time. Very nice. I've got a bunch more questions I could ask you, but I'm going to pause yeah. my questions and get to some questions from the chat. Yeah, uh, I want to know what people are thinking about. So Aaron, um, can you come off of mute and go ahead and ask your question? Yeah. Hi, thank you. Uh, Matt, I'm sorry, I'm not with video on. I'm calling from Israel, so it's a little bit late here right now. So here's the question. I totally understand. Independent board member will not go and search for investors, but one of the things that investors usually look is on the team, okay? They, they are value the team, the leadership team, on their ability to execute. Right. Um, from your experience, how much the combination of the board members um, are important for similar evaluation? Is it on, on on a similar manner? So you know, if if your board is lacking some sort of uh, you know expertise or or know how the company is being captured less, uh, even if you have a good leadership team or or, or not. So th that's the point of view that I would. Yeah, you no, know, it's 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 a great question. Um, I think uh, what what I would say is the absence of uh, good independent directors doesn't hamper a financing process, but the presence of good ones will help. Uh, and look, yeah. I, you know, I see that that's not one size fits all. If you're series C and you're going out for series D and you still don't have good independent directors, that's a little bit of a red flag, but for, for, you know, pre-seed C. I'm talk e. Yes. I'm, I'm talking about a seed, a seed A. Come. Yeah. I, I don't think the absence of one will hurt, but the presence of a good one will help. Okay. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, you. So much. Please appreciate you staying up with us uh, in Israel. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Everardo, I'm going to go to you next. You can uh, go ahead and come off of mute. Thanks, Logan. My question was with how do you think board members should or should not intersect with mentors? Um, like, should can, is it okay for me to look for a mentor within my board members or to bring that mentor to the board? Or is there a potential conflict of interest that I'm not seeing? Yeah, um, it depends how you define the work of a mentor. So um, the, the language we use at Bolster um, is that there's a there's a big difference between a coach and a mentor, and I would also say there's a difference between a mentor and a consultant. So I'll talk about all three of them a little bit. Um, I we I think of a mentor as someone who uh, who helps teach you the craft of your job. You've never done your job. You've never been a CEO before. A CEO mentor is going to help you learn how to be a CEO. Um, uh, whereas a coach helps you be the best version of you as a human. Uh, right, a coach is the person that you're going to be like vulnerable with, um, 
you know, a mentor might be a little bit more like this session, like, Hey, here's how to build a board. Here's how to, you know, here's how to, um, how to write a board book. Um, I think having a mentor, a sounding board and having a good board member, um, those two things are very compatible with each other. Um, I would not have a coach on a board. A coach is someone that you want to go to when you're like pulling your hair out and you're like, I don't know what to do. I think I'm being, doing a terrible job right now. I'm having imposter syndrome. Like yeah, you probably don't want to say that stuff to your board in quite that way. You can't be as raw. Um, but, but, you know, a mentor, um, and a board member could be one and the same. I'd also say with respect to consultant, because it's kind of the, it, it's a very similar question. Um, you can have someone who is on your board and also is a paid consultant by your business, but I wouldn't conflate the two roles. And the way I think about it is, um, board members give advice and consultants have deliverables. So if you have a board member that you want to engage for a paid project with a deliverable, you should do that. Um, but you shouldn't expect that your board members are going to do deliverables. Um, you should expect that they're going to give you advice that maybe they'll read something, you know, a hands-on board member will like pay attention to whatever you serve up to them and react to it. But like, if you're asking someone to write copy or, you know, do work in a spreadsheet or something like that, they're, they're probably a consultant. You should probably pay them for that. All right. That's great. Thanks for the question, Everardo. Um, Thanks. Let's, let's go to Richard Hambury. Richard, go ahead and come off mute. I, I think probably just intersecting with your last bit, um, or to the board duties, if you, especially if you've got people who are doing those multiple roles, what would you say the ideal time commitment is if we're talking series A, series B, um, time commitment of intermittent director and the typical comp ranges that you see? in terms of equity or and or cash? Uh, so uh, I'll work backwards. So cash, none uh, for companies like all of ours. Um, it's really rare. And look, I don't know what the customs are in Europe. They may be a little bit different there or, or Israel, but in the US, you're just never paying cash to, to a board member at, at a private company. Maybe a very late stage private equity owned business, maybe, but... Um, uh, but not companies like the ones most of us on this call run. Um, in terms of uh, of equity compensation, which I can talk about for an hour in and of itself, I will give you a very quick rule of thumb that I think should um, should get you close, um, which is you should give uh, a board member half the amount of equity you would give a new senior executive. However, make sure you adjust it for the for the number of years in the vest. So if you're hiring a new CMO and you're giving that person two points of equity, the board member should get one point of equity, assuming you're giving them a four-year term. I, however, am also a big proponent at the early stages of only giving independent directors a two-year term because you don't know what you need two years from now. And it's way easier to re-up a board member for another two years and give them more equity than it is to fire them halfway through or to limp along with them for the extra two years if you're not getting what you need out of them. So in that case, you'd want to give them a quarter of the equity, right? So you're giving them half, but they're, but it's only over half the amount of time. And thanks for the question, Richard. All right, let's go to Andrew Garza. Andrew, you can come off mute. Thanks. Um, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Logan. Um, so we're, we're actually looking right now for an independent director um, company about to go for series a um a couple questions i had for you kind of tactical um one is 
if you think it's generally a good rule of thumb for an independent director to look for someone with experience at a company a couple of stages later than you, whether that be Series B, C, etc. Um, a second is how you think about you know entrepreneur versus non-entrepreneur directors, and I know that the initial answer would be it depends, but uh, curious if you'd have any context there. Sure. Yeah, there's there's depth behind it depends. Uh, <laughs> no, um, the framework that we use to run a board search um, is first of all, you you assume that you're only finding people who are um, who are ready to be on a board or have been on a board. Mm-hmm. And there's a distinction between those two that Logan, we should make sure we come back to in a, in a few minutes. Uh, and you only want to find people who are great corporate athletes, like. Everyone you put on the board should should know how to read a PNL. Everyone you know we put on the board should be a great listener. They should be articulate in their verbal communications, et cetera. So set that stuff aside. Um, the framework that we use to help uh, founders think through what they really need to put on their board comes back to something I said when I was giving slides, which is what's the voice that's missing from around the table? So if you think of your cabinet as the, the collection of your senior executives and your board, what's the experience set? that isn't really well represented there. So I'd encourage you to think about that um, along four different vectors. Um, So um, one uh, is going to be functional experience. So do you want a CEO on your board? Do you want a CFO on your board? Are you looking for uh, a legal or an HR person? Are you looking for a sales or marketing person? Are you looking for a product person? So think about function, right? What's the function that's kind of missing from the group? Um, two is the domain. So what industry do you want the uh, person to have experience in? Uh, three is stage and stage transition. So do you want someone that's at your stage? Do you want someone that's at the next stage? Do you want someone that's taken a business from your stage to the next stage? Do you want someone two stages ahead because you're hyper growth? And then the fourth thing is kind of, um, I don't really have a good uh, descriptor for this. It's some combination of um, business model experience and customer set experience. So if you're selling to enterprises, do you want an enterprise person? Do you want an SMB person? Do you want a DTC person? Um, do you want someone who understands subscription revenue? Do you want someone who understands uh, how hardware and software revenue go together, um, et cetera? You, you get the general idea. So sort of fabric of the business. Uh, and so um, we we ask our clients when we're doing a board search with them to describe their ideal candidate along all four of those dimensions and then put them in order. Like you have to force yourself to stack rank those four things because while you might find the perfect candidate that has all four, you have to know where your trade-offs lie. Um, and then, you know, you also have to overlay diversity on that and how important diversity is to you. Um, and that may change the way you think about some of those requirements. Um you know, the, the reality of the population is um, there is a very large uh, talent pipeline of uh, women and people of color to serve as board members, uh, but not necessarily for every cell in the grid. Mm. So we're conducting a search right, a board search right now for a company that's on the verge of going public uh, that wants a, uh, a hardware product person who has gone through an IPO before to serve on the board as an independent director. And there, it you know, started off by saying that it must be female and ideally a person of color. And the reality is there just aren't that many of those. And in, in fact, there, you know, there, there may be none of them, or there may be 
you know, two, and they're already on six boards each because they're they're in, in such demand. So um, you just have to think about all the trade-offs involved in the search, but that's really the framework. So there, the answer to your question is, do you want someone at the right stage? Maybe. Like that's probably something you want to look for, but I don't know whether that's the most important thing or the least important thing for you. Um, do you want someone who's an entrepreneur or do you want someone who's like a Fortune 500 operator because the thing you're valuing is their industry experience? Um, I, I can't answer for you, but it's it's about the voice that's missing from around the boardroom. Got it. Okay. Well, that's great. That's appreciate great. the appreciate the question, Andrew. Great question. Yeah. Sort of follow up to that, Matt. You've written about sort of opening up the aperture on your board search to sort of change your view of who you're looking for. You just named some very clear guardrails. How do you sort of change your paradigm about who you're looking for? What What do you mean by that, Logan? The opening up the aperture to yeah. sort of thinking about who is a potential candidate. Yeah. So I would say um, the the biggest thing is how much you weight. Uh, prior board experience or functional experience as a CEO. So uh, it used to be 10 or 20 years ago that like that's what you looked for on your board for, for filling an independent seat. Like you wanted someone who'd been a CEO and therefore had board experience, unless you're filling the audit committee chair role, in which case you want a CFO who's had prior board experience. The problem with that, um, at the, if that's at the top of your list, is that um, the relevant population for those things is still overwhelmingly white and male. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, in fact, I am a white male. Uh, but uh, it is incompatible if your goal is to build diversity into your board to also say, and I must have someone who's been on public company board member and CEO before. Just the, just the law of numbers isn't quite there. So one of the things that we try to do with board searches, um, particularly with earlier stage board searches, um, is to um, look for people who are board ready without necessarily being board experienced. So if I think about my uh, career, right, I've been running management teams for the last, I don't know, 28 years or something like that. Um, almost anyone that's ever reported to me is board ready because they've all been in board meetings. They've observed lots of board meetings. They've presented to boards. They've been on the firing line with some tough VCs asking questions. Um, they help me prepare board books. They help facilitate conversation in board. Like that's board ready. Uh, someone who has served on a nonprofit board uh, or even a community board, um, that's a mark of board readiness. That in and of itself doesn't mean board ready. Uh, and some of those boards are, you know, silly and not comparable. You know, anyone who's ever sat on a PTA board or like the board of a youth sports organization, like that's a board. You have experience with governance. You have experience looking at a PL, asking questions. Um, it's not exactly the same, but it's a mark of board readiness. Uh, people who've been to a director training, you know, director college, director training program, that's a mark of board readiness. That's great. That's great. Uh, someone, by the way, someone who's been a mentor, an active mentor of founders through an accelerator or through a VC, that's a mark of board readiness. Got it. Got it. Let's talk about running a really fantastic board meeting itself. What are some of the strategies for getting high engagement and quality conversations out of your board? So um, it starts by having a great board book. So uh, let's take a few minutes on on that. Um, and then, um, then we can come back and talk about um, sort of the meeting itself, if that's all right. Great. So... Um, 
the best board books have uh, a few things in common. Um, then the first one uh, is actually about you. So the best board books are the ones that are easy to prepare. Um, this is one of those things like nine out of 10 CEOs would not say their board books are easy to prepare. Um, best board books are easy to prepare. And here's what I mean by that. If you get your uh, sort of operating system or operating rhythm or cadence really grooved, uh, then doing a board book is a little bit of work, but it's not a lot of work um, because the information that you're providing to the board is the same information that you're using to run the company. So um, our rhythm, which this is, I've been doing this for a long time now, is pretty consistent. I have my quarterly leadership team offsite a week and a half before the quarter ends. Close enough to when the quarter ends so we know, do we make the quarter, do we not make the quarter, or sort of what's left outstanding. So we do our, our post-mortem, uh, you know, the retrospective on quarterly deliverables, a retrospective on product releases, uh, financial review, actual versus budget, all of that stuff. So we prepare all of that stuff for the management team so that we can run the business effectively. And then at the offsite, we, we go through it, we surface issues, uh, we plan the next quarter, we do you know the sprint planning, goals planning, OKRs, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and then, you know, the week after that, we've like, we like wait and see, okay, here's how the quarter actually ended. Now we tidy all of that stuff up and present it to the company. And then we always do our board meeting two weeks after that. So by the time we're preparing the board book, the work's done. We have to version it a little bit for the board, right? The board doesn't know all of our acronyms. They don't need to see the, quite the level of depth that we, we use internally for things. Um, but pretty much like most of the prep, you know, create the content once, use it multiple times. Um, we also use our executive offsites as um, uh, as a, a place to surface the strategic topics we want to cover with the board. Uh, so the board book itself is like, hey, we're just kind of assembling and editing stuff we have, and then we're writing um, a few memos for strategic topics. Um, so I'll get to that in a second. So the, this, the first thing about great board books is that they're easy on you and easy on your team. Um, the second thing is that great board books are easy to consume. So if you think about um, uh, if you think about grocery stores, um, I used to use newspapers for this metaphor, but no one has picked up a newspaper in a long time. If you think about a grocery grocery stores, most grocery stores are laid out the same way, right? Like the produce is on one side when you walk in, the frozen stuff is in the middle, the groceries are in the middle, the meats are around the back. Um, you know, they may vary a little bit, but like you can kind of walk into any grocery store other than Stu Leonard's in my experience and find your way around. Um, and a board book should be the same way, right? If you go to the newspaper uh, metaphor, like you open a newspaper, there's a sports section, there's a local news section, right? So make your board book easy to consume and and put it in a consistent format, meeting for meeting. Don't, don't you know, you can vary it a little bit. You can change it up every year, but, um, but don't make people hunt around for the stuff that they're looking for. Um, Board books should have the right balance of content. And what I mean by that is 80% of the pounds in a board book should be retrospective and reporting from what happened last quarter, last period. Um, and then, uh, you know, 20% of the content, or let's, let's call it 10% of the content in terms of pounds, pages, should be about strategic topics. And then you always have some official business. Um, the board meeting is the opposite of that. 
So the board meeting is 80% on strategic topics or 70% on strategic topics and like a little bit of time on Q&A, but we'll get to, we'll get to the board meeting in a, in a couple of minutes. But the, the book itself, you want to really go long on detail on what happened last period. Um, and then you really want to make sure that you're set, you're teeing up the strategic conversations for the board meetings the right way in the board book. So my rules for this, the section of the board book where I tee this up is called On My Mind. Um, I have between one and three topics that I want the board to discuss. And uh, I produce a one to three page uh, written memo like prose, not slides, to tee up that conversation. So if I have a chart or something, sure, I'll throw the chart into the into the prose. But I really want to lay out what the topic is. And I always end those by saying what kind of conversation I want the board to have. So um, if you don't do that last piece, like you may want to make a decision about something and the board will want to brainstorm. Got it. Brainstorm, say that you want to brainstorm. If you're past the brainstorm and you want to make a decision about something and you want their counsel, say that. If, you, if you're trying to pick between option A and option B about something, say that. But you really have to lay out really crisply uh, in, that, in that short memo what you're looking for. And you, you like, this is where I spend like 80% of my time preparing a board book is like on four pages of prose at the end of it, because that's where I want to get the value out of the board. It's not in the historical reporting. Man, I want to pause you for a second because you're a writer. You had, you started a blog, I think startup CEO, it was called, uh, ran it for a long time since early in, you know, the land of CEO blogging. And you've written these three books. You were a writer. What's your advice to a founder that wants to give that clear messaging but struggles to write? And the idea of maybe four, four pages of prose to kind of put my thoughts down, um, that seems intimidating. So one is you have to get good at, good at that. Um, but if you don't have it, uh, then partner for it. So find the person on your management team that is a good writer. Hopefully there's someone on your management team that's a good writer. Hopefully... Be head of marketing, for example, would be a good writer. Uh, if not, like find a consultant to help you with it. Um, like it's worth a little bit of effort and money to make sure that that those pieces of the board book are really clear. Um, and if you if you're not comfortable with your own capability, there partner for success. Love it. All right, uh, let's talk. About my last thing, my last thing, really, really quickly about board books, uh, and in the context of your question, which is how do you have a great board meeting? You have to send the board book out early. And what I mean by early is, is not the day before, and it's not two days before, it's at least three days before. My personal rule of thumb is I always send them out on a Friday, sometimes even on a Thursday, to give people a weekend and then a day or two uh, before the meeting. Board meetings are never on Mondays because VCs are always busy on Mondays. So if you send it out on a Thursday or a Friday, you're giving people until Tuesday or Wednesday to read it. Um, that gives them enough time to prepare adequately. So that's- Got it, all right. So that's that's before the meeting. Now let's talk about the meeting itself. So the meeting itself, um, the meeting itself. Uh, so let's talk first about the um, components of a meeting. Uh, and then um, I'll give you a couple of thoughts on how to run a really engaging meeting. So um, a good board meeting has a bunch of different pieces to it. Um, one of them is social. And um, this is getting back to like helping the board develop as a team and build those human connections and relationships. Um, if you have an in-person board meeting, which I would strongly encourage you to do at least once or twice a year, even in the world of Zoom, 
uh, please pair the board meeting with a lunch, a dinner, a breakfast, a hike, a something. And the less often you do them, the more of that you want to do. Uh, so I do two in person a year and I try to do both an activity and a meal. Um, if you are on zoom, then you still need to make time for something social. And what I do for a zoom meeting is, um, I actually have the first 30 minutes directors only. So it sort of looks like an executive session. Um, but it's like the pregame. Um, and if you don't have the pregame, you like turn on zoom, you're like, okay, everyone, let's start. Um, if you have 30 minutes first, that's directors only, you guys have to, it's like you're at the water cooler, right? You have time to chit chat. You have time to ask people about each other's kids and weekends and whatever. Um, and I usually come to that with an icebreaker, like as if I'm at a dinner party. So the last one I did was, um, I asked people to find a photo on their phone, hold it up to the screen and talk about it for two minutes. I love that. Super easy, right? But you know, you get like, oh, well, this is my kid. Here's our new dog. Here is the, the picture from Turks and Caicos, whatever. Um, one of them I did, you know, what are you reading right now? What are you binging right now on Netflix? Um, so just like something to get people talking or again, better to have a lunch or dinner or something in person. The meeting itself, um, I think of as having uh, four or five components. So there's the meeting, which is obviously the biggest block of time. Um, then I always have what I call executive session, which is everybody other than the board leaves the room. So my board meetings have a lot of people in them. I have my entire exec team, founding team. Usually we'll have some board observers for, you know, VCs have a junior person come like executive session. All those people go away. It's just the board. Um, and I usually do a separate memo for that, uh, as well. So I'll do a board book, like one PDF that has everything in it. And then I'll do a second one just for executive session. Sometimes that's only half a page or a page. You know, it's topics I want to cover that I don't want everyone else to hear, um, which would principally be things about the team. Um, the third thing, uh, third component of the meeting is closed session. So closed session is I leave the room and I leave the non-me directors by themselves. Um, the fourth thing is debrief to me. So I, I when I leave the room, I put someone in charge of calling me back in to debrief with me, whatever that conversation was about. And then the fifth thing, which doesn't have to happen in adjacent to the board meeting, but needs to happen within 24 hours is schedule a debrief with your management team. So that's when a lot of people forget all of a sudden, like the meeting ends, they're off to their next thing. And like, you know, schedule the debrief with your team. So those are the components of a meeting. Um, I got an eye on the clock here. We only have eight more minutes. That's right. That's right. Okay. I've got, I've got one question in the Q and A. Well, let me give you, let me give you my two. Go for it. Weird, weird tips for having high impact conversations at the board meeting. Um, number one is, uh, pay attention to where people sit. So if you are meeting in person, put all of the board members on one corner of the table, like one end of the, of the table. And if you have 10 other people in the room, they can sit everywhere else. Um, when you have board members like sprinkled throughout the management team, that may seem like you're being egalitarian. It just means the board has a hard time talking to itself. They're like leaning forward, back. Can I see you? Who's talking now? The purpose of your board meeting is for the board to have a conversation and other people can listen and participate. So seat them at one end next to each other. And the Zoom equivalent of that, if you're doing a virtual meeting, is uh, everybody who's not a director turns off their video. You tell the board to go into their video settings on Zoom 
and click the button that says hide participants not on video. Um, and then when someone on your team is talking, they turn their video on and then they magically appear. But everyone knows they're in the room. It's not like you're hiding them. But when you are staring at a wall of 25 squares, everyone's like this big. Um, and if observers have video off and you're hiding people not on video, the board is larger. So dumb, but it makes a difference. But not as much of a difference as my second tip. No slides. All right. No slides. No slides, no slides, no slides. Um, when there are slides up, two things happen. One is whoever's speaking reads the slide, which is just terrible in any meeting setting, but it's just like, it's just humans. Like they, you default to reading the slide. By the way, if your board book is slides, that means the board has read it and you're reading it to them again. Uh, but the other thing that that I observed um, and, and made this change as an experiment once and then it stuck, is that when you have slides on the wall or you have slides on a screen, everyone's eyes go to the slides and they sit there and stare at the slides and kind of glaze over. When you don't have slides, the only thing people can look at is each other. And when you are having a strategic conversation, you want to be looking at each other. You want to be able to read people's body language and look each other in the eye. And it's just a recipe for a way more impactful human conversation. So anyway, those are my two tips. Stick the board on one end of the table and no slides. And it sounds dumb, but, I, but I've, I've run like hundreds of board meetings and it makes a huge difference. I love it. It's something that someone can take into account at their next meeting. So very actionable. All right, quick lightning round with the last couple of questions from the chat. The first one is from Shireen. So Shireen, come off a of mute. Yep. Yep. I'm ready. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt, for this. This is great. Um, my quick question for you is, so we're early stage. We're raising a seed round. As we start looking at potential investors, even down the roads, potentially those that want a board seat, what are, what are things we should look at today when having those early conversations with a potential investor to then think of a future state that this person is in a room and this person is um, someone who understands the business at large and understands what exactly we're trying to do within their capacity on the board seat. So any recommendations there? So sorry, is the question about interviewing a, a VC as a potential board member or about teeing up future board members during a round? Uh, the, the first, because yeah, so with them coming on, providing the, you know, the investment along with that, looking for a board seat. Yeah, it's, it, that's a, such a great question, Shireen. And it's something that um, a lot of founders don't do. Like they're when they're doing a round, they're just focused on money and, you know, focused. Maybe they're thinking about like the brand of the firm, um, but usually they're thinking about the best terms or the best valuation. You actually have to be evaluating um, the person as well as the firm um, because you're hiring part of your boss. Like that's, that's what you're doing. Um, and uh, there are some VCs that are better board members than others. And you know, sometimes, sometimes you have limited choice, just like you have limited choice in financing. Um, but you know, you want to have, um, you want to have someone that brings as much relevant experience as possible to the mix. Um, and one of the things that, that I really don't love, um, that, that firms do sometimes is they insist on two board seats. Um, and you know, look, if someone's buying your company, you know, get, they can have as many board seats that they want. Um, but two board seats for a single firm is like, is the equivalent of having multiple founders on the board. Like you're not getting diversity of thought and experience there. You're just getting two people from the same place. So, um, yeah, there are ways around that in the negotiation, 
you know, you can say that they get two votes, but they have to fill one of the seats with a mutually agreeable independent or, um, yeah, there, there, there are lots of ways to think about that, but like a stack of the same firm on your board is not a, is not a healthy board. Shireen, thanks for the question. Matt, that is our time. The hour went so fast. You dropped absolute pearls. And what's great about this session is that you have an entire book that um, people can go to to dive deeper into any of these topics. Great to see everybody's faces. Thank you for taking part in the discussion. And thank you, Matt, once again. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.